Welcome to the Essential Tennis Podcast. If you love tennis and want to improve your game, this podcast is for you. Whether it's technique, strategy, equipment, or the mental game, tennis professional Ian Westerman is here to make you a better player. And now, here's Ian. Hi, and welcome to the Essential Tennis Podcast, your place for free, expert tennis instruction that can truly help you improve your game. This episode of the Essential Tennis Podcast is brought to you by SomersetSportsPerformance.com. Thank you very much for joining me today. And before we get started with our instructional questions, I just want to tell you guys about a new feature at EssentialTennis.com, and that is transcripts of the podcast shows. So this show that you're listening to right now, you'll be able to take in as text in several different ways. Each podcast is put up as a blog post, so you'll you'll see the transcribed text for each podcast on the actual blog there, and you can go to that by going to EssentialTennis.com, put the mouse cursor over podcast, there's a drop-down menu, and click on transcripts. Once you're there, you can translate the transcript into any language So if you are listening to the Essential Tennis Podcast outside of the United States and you'd like to read the show in any language of your choice, you can do that. There's a little drop-down menu on the right that says Select Language, and you can read each show in whatever language you like. You can also download each transcript for free, and if you have a Kindle or other e-reader, you can download the Kindle format. You can download, download the transcript in PDF format as well. And I think we're going to be putting up a Word document file also. So lots of new ways to learn from the Essential Tennis Podcast besides just listening to it now. If you are a reader and would like to read the show, you can now do that as well. So check it out. Again, just go to EssentialTennis.com and under the podcast heading, select Transcripts. All right, let's get down to business. Sit back, relax, and get ready for some great tennis instruction. All right, let's get started with episode number 98 of the Essential Tennis Podcast. And I'm only going to be answering two questions on today's show, and that is because I'm, I'm really going to be going into a, a lot of depth on both of my answers. Both of the questions have to do with very important aspects or, or parts of your tennis game, and I, I'm really going to go into detail on both today. So I hope you guys have your thinking caps on, and hopefully you guys are taking some notes here because there's going to be a lot of information. I'm Again, I'm really going to go into depth on, on both of these questions. The first one has to do with attacking on a weak shot, and this, is a, this has been a topic that I've talked about before on the show, but I'm happy to go over it again, and each time I explain a topic like this, I'm able to do a little bit better job of it the next time, so... I'm always happy to to revisit some topics like this, especially when they're so important. Now, this question comes to us from George in Romania. He's unsure of his level, and here's his question. He says, what is often happening to my game is that I am missing the easy shots when the ball comes to me in the service box and slowly. For example, when my opponent serves the second for the second time, I'm hitting the ball over the baseline or into the net. When I noticed, what I noticed is that I get to the ball very quickly 
and then I have some dead time waiting for the ball and I lose my focus on it. Also, I think I hit it too hard like I do from the baseline. I am more than happy to receive a baseline ball with speed than a slow one into the service box. The percentage is higher for me for the first type of shot. Shouldn't it, shouldn't it be vice versa? Thanks, George. Well, George, I, I agree with you. It probably should be the reverse. And this is a very, very common issue for players that are around a 3.0 or 3.5 level as rated by our NTRP rating system here in the United States. And that's basically, basically an average level player, right around a 3.5 level. And this is definitely one of the biggest differences between a 3.5 player and a 4.5 player is the ability to create your own pace and hit the ball aggressively and do that consistently. Any Anybody who walks out onto a tennis court with a tennis racket you know, any decent athlete can receive a shot and, and hit it hard, regardless of where they are on the courts, whether it's close or it's an easy shot or it's a difficult shot. I mean, we, we, we can all figure out how to swing the racket quickly and actually hit the ball hard. That's not a problem. But doing it consistently and doing it consistently on an easy shot where we have a lot of time to think about it and Really, the biggest one of the biggest things here when when I say easy shot and what, what George is talking about is a shot where we have to create pace and spin ourselves. And George mentioned in his question that he's very comfortable back at the baseline when the ball is coming at him with pace and there's already speed. And the reason why that's easy, typically, or easier typically for a lower level player is because there's already momentum on the ball and it's less work for us to hit the ball back solidly. And so we don't have to create the speed or the pace on the ball ourselves with a good technical swing. We can use a technique that's not quite as solid but still hit a good solid shot back because there's already momentum on the ball and we're just transferring it back. So this is a very common problem among 3.0 to 3.5 players, and it's really the roots reason why this level player has such a hard time with the pusher, the player who doesn't really have any weapons, but just hits the ball back and play weekly again and again and again, and doesn't really miss. And so this really, and I, and I encourage you, George, to listen to the show about beating a pusher. I don't have the number of the podcast in front of me here. But if you go to the podcast archives and do a page search for Pusher, listen to that show because I, I this is basically the same topic. So let's talk about exactly how to overcome this problem. And George talks about making one of two mistakes. And, and again, this is very, very common. This is you know basically a, a carbon copy of so many different questions that I get that are basically centered around around the same issue. And George describes either missing the ball long or into the net whenever he gets this short, weak shot that he's trying to attack on. So in order to hit this ball solidly and aggressively, and, and George, you've got the right idea here, you don't want to let up on this and hit it weak for the sake of keeping it in play. Now, if that's the only way you can keep it in play, then by all means hit it weak. I, I don't want you to make a lot of errors and give away free points, but for the sake of advancing your game and becoming a better tennis player, you do need to learn how to attack on these short, weak shots and do it consistently. So I'm going to be talking about how to do this. And really, you need two skills in order to consistently hit this weak ball aggressively and, and be able to do it again and again. 
two main skills. The first one is good positioning, and that means putting your body in the right place in relationship to the ball so that it's comfortable to hit. And I would recommend making contact with this shot somewhere between waist height and shoulder height. We don't want it any lower than waist height because it means we're really going to have to be hitting up to, to lift the ball over the net much more than we want to. We do want to attack on this shot, and the lower the ball drops below waist height, the more and more difficult it is to actually attack because we're having to kind of curve the ball. We can't really hit it hard or else it starts going too far out um, unless you really put a lot of topspin on the ball to curve it back in play. So, George, make sure that you're making contact at an appropriate height, and that would be somewhere between waist and shoulder height. Anywhere in, in there is fine. We don't want to make contact above shoulder height either because it becomes very difficult at that point to hit the ball with good technical form uh, with good technique once the ball gets up above shoulder height so that's that's the positioning part if you find that the shot is is so weak that you're having to stand there and wait for the ball to bounce come back you know go up into the air and then come back down again into your strike zone where it's comfortable to hit that's fine you can either wait for it and be patient let it come back down or you could also take the ball on the rise as well and make contact as the ball is coming off of the court. That's a great way to attack by still hitting the ball in your strike zone, but doing so earlier, which means you're not going to have to wait around for it to drop back down to your strike zone again, first of all. And second of all, you actually take time away from your opponents, which is a great thing. So consider taking the ball on the rise and making contact with it as it comes off the off of the uh, the court surface, as opposed to letting it go all the way up and then come all the way down again to make contact at at uh, your strike zone where it's comfortable. So that's the good positioning part of it. The second skill that you need to be able to hit this consistently and aggressively is good technique, and more than likely, this is where you're failing. And this is where most average level players fail when they try to attack on a short ball. And I'm going to talk, uh, I want to say briefly, but it might not be briefly. Uh, I'm going to try to talk briefly about what good technique means exactly for this shot. And there's two main elements that have to be kept under control and two main elements that have to be done correctly if you're going to make this shot, George. First of all, we need an upward swing instead of so much of a forward one. And George, you ask in your question if you should be making, if you should be slowing down and you feel like you're hitting the ball too hard and you say, quote, like I do on the baseline, you should be making a ground stroke swing at this shot. What, what you don't want to do is get tight and tentative and scared to hit this shot and just start pushing it over. Now, Again, as I mentioned a couple minutes ago, this would probably be, well, it would. It would be better than missing all of them for sure. I don't want you to give away points and give away matches because you miss this shot every time. So I'm not advocating that you you just go for it no matter what and continue to miss the shot. However, when it comes time to practice this shot, make sure that you're making a good upward swing. The reason for that is we need some topspin on this shot. We've got to have it. And the reason for this is we're closer to the net. And as you say, we don't have as much room to work with. The court is shorter. We're, we're working with a short court because we're well inside the baseline to hit this shot. So we can't hit it like we do from the baseline in the, um, 
as far as the trajectory and the height and the speed goes, we're not able to hit it just like on the baseline because we don't have as much room to work with. However, we do want to make a full ground stroke swing like we do from the baseline. We're just going to change the trajectory of our shot and add some more topspin to keep it in play. So as far as the length of our swing, it's going to remain the same. But the differences are, first of all, the path of the racket. And again, we need to make more of an upward swing as opposed to a forward swing. It's not impossible to hit the ball from this position hard and flat and straight and put it in play, but it's very difficult, again, because we don't have a lot of court to work with. When you attack on this shot and hit it flat and straight, there's a very, very narrow window to hit through to actually make the ball stay in play. If you hit it just a little bit high and a little bit above that window, then it ends up going too far. And if you hit just a little bit low, then you end up hitting the net. And that's what sounds like is happening here for you. You describe missing it both long and into the net over and over again. And the reason is you're hitting the ball too flat. You're trying to hit the ball right at your target. And that's not impossible to do, but it's very difficult because there's a very narrow margin for error. So we need to swing upwards instead of forwards and put topspin on the ball so that we get a curve in the flight of the ball to keep the ball in play. This is very, very important. Now, a lot of you are probably saying, well, Ian, I, I've, I've constantly missed these shots along, so if I swing upwards more, it's just going to go farther. I'm going to miss by even more, aren't I? Well, yes, that's true, unless you make one more adjustment, and that's the second part of the good technique that I'm talking about here. The first part is swinging upwards. That's step number one to, to hitting this shot correctly. Step number two is having a flat racket face at contact. And depending on how you how close you are to the net, you may even want to have the racket face closed. Closed would mean that the surface of the, the strings, your racket face, is actually facing down towards the court a little bit. In reality, it's usually going to be right around perpendicular or flat. So your your racket strings most of the time should be facing perpendicular to the court surface. Now, again, if you're really attacking on this shot and it's really a short shot and you don't have a lot of court to work with, you may have to close it even more than that to get the racket face facing a little bit towards the court surface, but it's not much. It's not like a 45-degree angle or anything like that. It's, in reality, probably like around 5 degrees at the most. And the combination of your upward swing and the closed racket face is going to do two things. It's going to make topspin to curve the ball and spin it down into the court. And secondly, it's going to keep the trajectory from being so high that it makes the ball float long every time. So we've got the curve in the ball and the trajectory that's appropriate to keep it in play. And between those two parts of your swing, we're going to be able to keep the ball in play regardless of where you're standing on the court. It doesn't matter if you're on the baseline or in no man's land or on the service line or even in front of the service line. We should be able to make a full ground stroke swing, upward swing, topspin swing at the ball and still keep it in play by adjusting the angle of the racket face. And that's pretty much it. <laughs> uh, it's those two elements that are going to keep the ball in play, George. So if you miss short into the net, Either your racket face was too closed or you swung the racket too straight, too forwards. You didn't lift the ball over the net. The ball still needs to be lifted over the net unless you're really close and the ball is, is quite high. 
And if you miss a lawn, I can pretty much guarantee you that your racket face was too open. It's either that, which which will cause the ball to float and go too far, or your racket uh, face was correct and you swung too straight and we didn't spin the ball enough. It was too flat. And so the trajectory was was fine, but there was no curve in the ball to bring it back down into the court. So it's going to come down to those two elements of your technique and, again, the good positioning. Wow. So there you go. And I, I'm proud of myself for, for getting through that whole thing with one take uh, without having to stop and, and recollect my thoughts. But that, that's pretty much it, George, to be able to attack on these weak shots. It's all about the positioning and the good technique. If you have any follow-up questions to this or anybody else listening, if, if you have any comments or, or further questions about how you do this, uh, please let me know because this is very important and you need to become comfortable doing this with a short, weak shot in order to consistently put the ball away when you have your opportunities. And you're never going to be a 4-0 or a 4-5 or definitely not a 5-0 player unless you learn how to do that with a weak, short shot. All right, let's go ahead and get started with our second question. It comes to us from Masa in Bloomington, Indiana. He's a 3.5 player and wrote to me and said, Hi, I'm a college student who just started to play tennis a year ago. I love playing tennis singles with my friends. Since about two months ago, I started to get the basic feel for the serve. I listened to podcasts here and also watched ATP Pro's video to learn about wrist pronation during the serve. When I applied it to my serve, I had slice in it and was never able to hit a flat serve properly. I used a continental grip. I tried to resolve this problem by serving with an eastern forehand grip, but failed miserably by losing control completely. I also couldn't hit a proper kick serve or slice serve with much spin. Changing to an eastern backhand grip helped me hit more spin, but it was with less power. Please help me resolve this problem about pronation. The flat serve attempts do go in, however, lacked speed uh, lacked speed to call it a first serve. The second serves do not go in and miss the service box by going long. Well, Masa, good question. And uh, this is probably one of the most misunderstood and, and again, uh, probably the, the biggest technical part of the game that's done incorrectly by amateur players. And I'm going to go into detail here talking about how to pronate correctly and also talk about what it's not. So uh, this is a very complicated set of questions, and I'm going to do my best to explain here in about 10 or 12 minutes. First of all, pronation is rotation of the shoulder and forearm. It's not the wrist. And pronation is the rotation of your palm from inside to outside, not up and down. And here's what I mean by that. If you're sitting in front of you, and you put your hands right in front of you so that they're perpendicular to the ground and your palms are facing each other right in front of you as you're sitting. If you take your right hand, or actually both both palms, and turn them so that they're facing down towards the ground, that's pronation. If you turn them in inwards again um, to, to face each other, to, to be parallel again and face each other, your palms face each other, that's called supination. If you turn them down into the outside, that is pronation. And you should be able to make a, a full 180-degree turn from your palms facing each other to your palms facing 
away from each other and having the backs of your palms facing each other. And that would be full pronation of, of both hands. If you, if you rotate both your palms from facing each other to facing 180 degrees away from each other so that the back, backs of your palms are facing each other, that is pronation. And if you watch yourself do that, Masa, and anybody else out there who's doing it, you'll notice your wrists did not move. <laughs> your, your wrists are a hinge that moves your hands up and down, but not in a circular rotation from inside to outside. Pronation is done by using your shoulder and your forearm to rotate your arm as a, as a whole. It is not done by using your wrists. This is a, this is a really huge misconception out there in the tennis community. Pronation is not done through use of the wrist. If pronation was the wrist, well, it's not. Just by definition, it, it's not the wrist. But if you tried to use your wrist to achieve the racket head speed necessary to hit a 100-mile-an-hour serve, you would have terrible, terrible wrist problems. And uh, to be honest with you, a lot of injuries are, are um, occurring that way by players trying to use their wrist too much to actually accelerate the racket. And it's just a very small part of your body and not nearly as strong as your shoulder or your forearm. And so that's it. That's the first things first there. Pronation is not using the wrist. I, and you said that in your question. I, I just had to clear that up. Now, using a continental grip is great. And, and it's good that you were starting to experiment with it. And hopefully you haven't put that away completely. But when you use a continental grip, it angles the racket face. So if you're right-handed and you're on the baseline and you just reach your palm and the racket up towards your point of contact, the strains of the racket will face to the left as the racket moves up towards the ball. And this is how it should be. Because of this, if you take a continental grip and just swing directly at the ball, you will impart slice. And when people try a continental grip for the first time, this is what always happens. They miss to the left. Or maybe they make the serve, but there's a big curve from right to left, and they spin the ball. And if that happens, Masa or anybody else listening, when you try a continental grip for the first time and the ball spins and curves to the left if you're right-handed, then you're doing it correctly. And that's what should happen the first time that you try a continental grip. The ball should curve to the left. If you're left-handed, then it's the opposite. The ball will curve off to the right. Now, in order to hit a flat serve, you have to pronate your forearm and shoulder in order to straighten the strings so that they become flush or square behind the ball. Again, with a continental grip, if you just naturally swing the racket towards the ball, your, your strings will be angled to the left. And that's what puts that spin in the curve on the ball. If you want to hit a flat serve and you want to hit the ball with no spin and you want to hit it straight at your target, then the strings need to be turned and facing forwards as you make contact. And that's where the pronation comes into play. Pronation rotates the racket, the angle of the racket strings, so that when you make contact, the strings are flush to the ball, they're square, and they're facing towards your target. And so this pronation, again, is how you hit a flat shot. If you swing with a continental grip and the ball spins or curves, you either didn't pronate early enough to square the strings or you didn't pronate enough in general in order to get the, the racket face or the strings square to the ball. So 
Masa, when you're attempting to do this and you swing with a continental grip and, and it continues to spin, you're not pronating properly. Now, there's two drills that can help you kind of get the feel for this. Two drills that I use in my teaching definitely every week, you know, depending on who I'm working with at the time, it could be every day. And uh, there's two main ways that you can kind of exaggerate or or practice pronating to to get the feel for actually rotating your shoulder and forearm to the outside in order to get the strings square to the ball, in order to actually hit a hard, flat serve. Uh, The first one is to pick a target that's way to the right. And if you're right-handed, I would suggest going to the ad side of the court, make sure that you have a, a continental grip, and then I want you to take a ball Go through your service motion as normal, but pick a target that's way to the right of what you would normally hit. And I typically, where I teach, we have water coolers in between each court. And so I'll go to the ad side of the court, assuming I'm with a right-handed player, and I'll say, hey, you see that water cooler between the, the our courts and the court to our right? I want you to take a continental grip and put up a toss as you normally would, and I want you to hit that water cooler. And so it's to the right of the net post on on the right. And my student then has to really pronate to get the strings angled, not only straight, but past that and actually angle the strings to the right to get the ball to angle off to the right side of the court. Now, again, naturally, the ball is going to want to go to the left the first time a player uses a continental grip. So I'm really forcing them to, to really pronate well and go past even a, what a flat serve would be and this is this is an exaggerated motion. This is not how you actually want to hit the ball to hit a serve. But the purpose of this is to try to get my student to feel what it's like to really pronate and turn that palm or turn the racket face to face out to the right. And this should be done at like half speed at the most. Don't don't try to do this fast. You're probably going to hurt yourself. <laughs> this, again, this is an exaggerated motion. So do it slowly and just go, you know, one at a time and take your time and try to get the feel for angling your your palm out to the right. Once you get the feel for this, it's in order to hit a flat serve, it's less exaggerated than this, but it's the same kind of feel of turning and twisting that racket face out to the right. Instead of hitting the ball with our racket strings facing right, we want them to be facing flat. And so it's not going to be quite a, quite as exaggerated of a motion, but it's the same kind of feel. The second way that you can practice pronating correctly is by practicing bouncing the ball with an overhead, an easy short overhead. And I, I have my students do this by tossing to themselves. Now have them go all the way up to the nets with me, and then we'll toss a service toss um, to ourselves and then bounce the ball on the other side of the net and try to bounce it over the back fence or the back curtain on our court. And you'll see pros do this on TV when they get an easy overhead, bounce it over their opponents and into the stands. The only way to do this is by pronating correctly. If you slice the ball and you hit the right side of the ball and you don't pronate correctly, you will never bounce it over the back fence. So this is a way to practice doing it correctly. And if the ball doesn't even get close to going over the back fence, you are not pronating very well. And at contact, the racket strings should be parallel to the court surface, facing downwards. Uh, I take that back. Not quite parallel, um, but they shouldn't be angled to the right or to the left. They should be flat, facing straight down towards the courts. And you want a little bit of angle on your, your strings facing back towards the opposing service line so that the ball goes forwards. 
but not much. We mostly want to hit the ball right down into the court surface to bounce it up and over the back fence. So these are two drills you can do by yourself to practice getting the feel of pronating. Again, make sure that you have the uh, correct continental grip. And that's really going to force you to really have to use your shoulder and forearm to rotate and get the strings flush to the ball. It's, it's the, the only way to, to do both of the drills I just described. Now, and and trying to wrap up this topic here, and I could really go for a long time on this, but here's the three things that really make pronating difficult to learn uh, using correct technique with a continental grip. First of all, just the pronating motion in general. If you didn't grow up playing an overhand throw sport, such as baseball or American football, where you have to make an overhand throw, pronating in general is often foreign to many players because they've never played a sport where they had to do a correct overhand motion. Every baseball player, every football quarterback pronates when they throw, and that's just the the good athletic way to do it. So that's the first thing that makes this tough for a lot of people. Secondly, it's the timing of the pronation. If you're trying to hit a flat serve, the racket face needs to be flush and facing towards the target right at contact. If you're a little bit late and the racket didn't quite get flush, you'll end up hitting slice, and the ball will curve off to the left. That's the most common mistake that people make, is they're, they're too late with the pronation, they, they never get the racket face flush, and they end up spinning the ball off to the left. You could also It's also possible to be early, but this doesn't happen very often, but once in a while, once in a while players are, are a little early with, with the pronation, and actually hit off to the right. Again, I'm talking about a, a righty player, and they'll actually hit the left side of the ball and kind of hit a lefty slice and hit the wrong side of the ball. And I've seen that happen in a couple instances, but usually it's the first way and players don't pronate. The timing of of their pronation is, is much too late and they're hitting the right side of the ball instead of hitting the back of the ball. And the third reason why this is difficult to learn is the amount of rotation in the pronation. And most players don't have a lot of pronation in their swing or they don't have any at all and the racket just keeps facing their target and they just push the ball in play. This is a very weak way to hit a serve and this is why pronation is so important. That range of motion gives you a ton of racket head speed, gives you the potential for lots of power and lots of spin and so it's very important to learn this correctly with a continental grip if you really want to hit as good of a serve as is physically possible for you. Now, last thing I'm going to say before we wrap up, and uh, I, I could use a lot of these things as individual topics uh, for, for podcasts to explain, but uh, last thing I really want you to understand, Masa, is that kick serves and slice serves use pronation too. It's not just a flat serve that you pronate on. It's just that the timing is different to achieve different angles with the strings at contact. It's, it's not so much that pronation is only used to hit flat, it's a technique, a general technique that you should be using on every serve to achieve racket head speed, uh, to, to make spin and to make power. It's the angle of the strains and the direction of the racket path that determine exactly what type of spin or how much spin is being hit. And the pronation should be used on every single serve. It's not just for a flat serve. It's for every serve. It's the timing of your pronation and the actual angle at contact that will determine what type of serve you're hitting. It's really important that all of you guys understand that, uh, and this is something that's universal in a good serve. It's not just for a flat serve. 
And last thing I'll say is to, to get a good visual thing, to get a good visual example of this, go to EssentialTennis.com, click on videos, and on the right side, you'll see different categories. Click on serve technique, and there's a, a video there. These are all free to view. There's a video there called Sampras Serve Comparison. And it's a great back view of Pete Sampras and also of Steve, who's a member of the Essential Tennis Forums. And I compare side by side Steve's serve with that of Sampras. And the pronation is a big thing that I talk about in that video. So if you want to actually see what good pronation looks like in a high-level serve, go look at that video. Again, it's I think it's called Sampras, uh, Sampras Serve Comparison Video. And it's in the video section of EssentialTennis.com. So Massa, hopefully, I'm sorry, Massa, hopefully that makes sense to you. And I, I could have gone longer on this, but I don't want to bore you guys with a lot of details and a lot of technical talking, but hopefully I've broken it down so that it makes sense. If any of you have any further questions or comments having to do with pronation on the serve, feel free to let me know. My email address is ian at EssentialTennis.com. Right. That does it for episode number 98 of the Essential Tennis Podcast. Thank you very much for joining me today. And one quick shout out before we close the show. And that shout out is going to Fight Fan in California who posts on the forums at EssentialTennis.com. Fight Fan was kind enough to send me a holiday a greeting card and, and a gift as well, which I, I just received in the mail. So I want to extend a, a warm uh, thank you to him and a, a warm holiday uh, greeting and, and best wishes to all of my listeners as well as we're closing up the holiday season here and we're winding down 2009. I hope it's been a successful one for all of you and happy new years and, and best wishes to all of my listeners for 2010 as well. I hope that it's successful for all of us in our tennis endeavors. So that does it for today's show. Take care everybody and good luck with your tennis.